Hello, hello, everyone. This is Brian Trouchold of Ambition and our Sales Influencer Series. I have a phenomenal guest I'm excited about today, David Primer, founder and chief sales scientist, uh, important word there, scientist at Cerebral Selling. Um, David, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. Yeah, great to be with you today. Awesome. I wanted to, you know, sometimes it's awkward on these like podcast type things where they just say, you know, a bunch of sentences and ignore you. So I wanted to say hi real quick and then I'm going <laughs> to actually introduce you. Um, but you and I originally, we connected over email uh, a few months ago now. And I always find it funny in the sales world how timing is so ironic. I was reaching out to get some, uh, to get some intelligence and ultimately you were, it was your last day at the, at the company. You sent me a really nice note that was like, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out, but I'm not going to be here anymore. Uh, and we ended up connecting over some of our background, which was pretty amazing is, you know, before you were the VP of sales at Influitive, which is a phenomenal company. Uh, it's been very impressive based in Toronto. Um, you were a, you know, a sales leader in a kind of, kind of important sales organization known as Salesforce. Uh, which you joined after your company Ripple was acquired and went on to become Work.com. Um, and you know, one of the things I mentioned to you is uh, what I find really fascinating is that the work that you did at Ripple and Work.com I think has a lot of connective tissue to what we're doing at Ambition. I think there are some areas where we're trying to take that baton a little bit a little bit further out into the future, and you guys laid a, a great philosophical groundwork. So I'm really excited to talk. I really appreciate you uh, joining me for some time today. And uh, once again, thanks for, thanks for joining. No, my pleasure. I mean, look, this work that we're doing is, uh, is important, you know, helping people excel at work, get the feedback and coaching they need is, uh, is absolutely a worthwhile endeavor. And one of those things that's easy to say, hard to do. I kind of refer to it like going to the gym. We all agree this stuff is a good idea, but it's hard. You know, we're all busy and uh, there's so many different distractions and things that we're focused on at work. And so anything from a you know, technology, coaching, methodology approaches that can help people get better at these super important skills is, uh, is critical. So it's, I'm really happy that you uh, have picked up the torch and are carrying it. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I hope we can, we can make you proud. Uh, it's funny to be talking about, you know, the going to the gym metaphor in, in, in mid-January when we're recording this because it's top of mind for everyone. Uh, just like the sales kickoff, right? Like in a, you know, in four months, the sales kickoff will be ancient history and it'll be completely out, out the window, right? That's right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's one of those things that it's important to strike while the iron's hot when you have a catalyst like the start of year, people in new roles, people getting promoted, sales kickoffs. Uh, and it's really important to lay the foundation so that later on when we often lack the resolve to do what we need to do, the foundation and the positive behaviors and habits have, uh, have at least started to form. So totally agree there. That's a good, that's a really nice way to say, you know, lacking the resolve. Uh, what I, sometimes I feel that maybe I'll talk about myself. I can just be lazy. But um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm familiar with you and this is hopefully not in a creepy way, but you gave a phenomenal talk at Dreamforce um, a few years ago. And I, I believe I have the right title of it. Uh, Leading for growth, four key behaviors to master. I'm going to link that 
that talk, the audio for that talk, as well as um, some blog posts from your site. When we post this, it's a really, it's a really great talk. And I want to ask some specific questions that I'm sure have um, evolved over the last few years. But, um, you know, that, that talk starts with some good validation on, you know, why leaders are, are really valuable to an organization and why good culture is also very valuable and has massive returns. Can you, can you give, you know, the general audience who aren't familiar with that talk at Dreamforce, um, you know, what's some of those impacts of having a good leadership, um, you know, good leadership and good culture have for companies? Absolutely. Well, you know, sometimes the, the tendency can be to think, I don't think we all think this overtly, but the tendency can be to think that things like culture and uh, good leadership, well, we, we intuitively believe that there's value. Sometimes we think of those things as, you know, what I call rainbows and unicorns, kind of fluffy. But there is actually a very hardcore and massive ROI to great leadership and great culture. Everything from you know, higher profits to reduction in turnover to reduction in onboarding time, increases in goal attainment um, are all things that statistically fall out of great leadership and great culture. And you know, when it comes to individual contributors, obviously we are part and parcel of driving the success of the business. But the amazing amount of leverage that a good manager or a leader has in that equation is tremendous. You know, we talk about a sales rep being able to um, add so much value to a company over the course of their tenure and the cost of losing, I'm talking about sales specifically now, but the cost to an organization of losing a sales rep in terms of lost productivity and uh, training time and, and all of that, the rehiring is about a million dollars in today's you know, kind of Fortune 1000 company. And the cost of a, a failed leader is actually four times as large, not just in terms of lost productivity, but in terms of poor team engagement, um, in the lackluster customer experience, recruitment, salary training, because of the amazing impact that a leader can have on the people on their team, on their productivity, on the discretionary effort that they unlock, you know, this idea of like, how hard is your team trying? That can all be unlocked by great leadership. And as we all know, a lot of times when a, a leader, um, or I'd say when an employee leaves an organization, and I'm not saying you know, exclusively, but statistically, a lot of times when a, an employee leaves an organization, it is due in large part due to the poor relationship that they had with their manager, the leadership. And so I kind of like to turn that around. You know, the it's not all doom and gloom that if our leadership fails, we're in a bad situation. But I almost, I look at it as an opportunity. Imagine what can be if we have tremendous leadership, leadership that is empathetic, that inspires their team to unlock that discretionary effort, that, 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 that fifth gear, you know, that catapults the the success of the team to the next level that helps deliver that amazing customer experience because nowadays we're all competing based on that experience, not just products and solutions. Then imagine the opportunity if we had an army of leaders who were the type of leaders that their employees would fight to work with again, the, the amazing impact that can have on the company, on the brand, on the market. And so, uh, you know, I wake up every day trying to figure out how do we build an army of leaders that inspire that kind of greatness. So it's just amazing the amount of leverage they can have. I love that. I, I really love, you, you mentioned the word, you know, empathy and having empathetic leadership. 
I want to get back to that here in a little bit because I think that is an interesting part that that comes back in your talk. And you know, what's interesting is I or not interesting, I think it's just it's important to realize that the first thing you said, you know, the rainbows and unicorns, that's what everyone thinks good culture, positive person for pe people to want to work with. But, you know, those, those are really, you know, having that fifth gear, having people with the discretionary effort, um, that has a huge, huge impact. And, you know, I'm, I guess this may, may be really, you know, obvious, but, you know, when you look back at companies you worked with um, during your time at, at Influitive or Salesforce or Ripple, um, you know, when you saw, when you saw companies that you felt had a, a strong culture, had great leadership, um, you know, from the outside looking in, what did you see there? What, what were signs that, man, this is, it's working there. They have something special going on. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think that, you know, one of the things that comes out of that relationship between leaders and the organization and the culture is the customer experience. Because, you know, thinking about it, I, you know, I like to think a lot about customer empathy. And from the customer's perspective, they kind of don't care what goes on in our organizations. You know, they, they don't care if we, do, if we do performance reviews, if we coach our reps, if we hire the best. All they care about is the product or service we offer, you know, the solution that we offer, the value to them, and the experience they have with us. So from the time they hit our website and they check us out, to the time they engage a sales rep, to the time they engage customer success or support, that whole life cycle, that's what they care about. And it's, it's, it's the same whether you're dealing with an organization who sells you know, a, a software solution like Ambition or a product like you know, an Apple, the way they sell an iPad. Right. And the experience that the customer has with your organization, that's the product. Right? It doesn't matter what you buy or sell. If you bought an iPad and you had this amazing sales experience but had a problem with it and couldn't get any help and it was just atrocious on the, on the back end, you would hate Apple, right? Yeah. And so the organizations that do this the best think about the end-to-end -end experience that the customer has with them as their product. And then what they do is they empower their people to deliver that amazing experience. So if you think about even like all of the, you know, here, here's an exercise I love. If you were to take out your phone and take a look at the apps on your phone and pick out the apps that you use the word love to describe, I'm willing to bet that on the back end of that company, there is a culture that supports that end-to-end -end focus on the customer experience. That love, that experience you're having comes through. And we all know that when we deal with organizations like the Apples or the Southwest Airlines or the Zappos of the world, where there is such a relentless focus on experience and that experience translates not only to the, the customer, but the internal experience as well. Because at the end of the day, we are trusting and imparting our, and we are empowering our employees to deliver that experience. And so when I look at the companies that do this the best, they're typically ones that bias and have the best um, perspective on the end-to-end -end customer experience. You can't, you can't see me right now, but I'm just nodding this whole time because <laughs> you definitely can feel it. And, and I think that, you know, empowering people to deliver that experience and, and the experience being the product, that's, that I could not agree with more. And, you know, we're not just talking about sales right now. We're talking about, um, I think, phenomenal, phenomenal co company culture on a whole and, and leadership from the, 
from the top all the way down to the where you interact with with the the company whether it's a southwest airlines or, or apple products and buying a mac that's that's great um you know maybe on the the flip side and it doesn't have to be as uh eloquent as that but you know what are the maybe this can give someone some introspective on their drive home or or whatever whenever they listen to this podcast but uh you know there are common symptoms or feelings when you know there's bad leadership or, or the culture is not healthy so to speak yeah you know i'd say there's there's a couple things i mean a lot of it so i'd say at least some of it has to do with the mechanics of how that culture manifests so what do i mean by that it means that if we have people who are well-intentioned hey look i i want people to see me as a great leader i want to add value to their experience I want to be a great coach. I want to be able to give them lots of feedback and be the kind of person and a leader they would fight to work with again. But I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know what the mechanics are. You know, typically when I work with leaders and I ask them a simple question, I say, well, what would you, in your, in your job, what would you like to be doing more of and like to be doing less of? The things that I hear in terms of the more of column, I hear things like, oh, I want to thank people more and I want to be less in the, in the weeds and the details. I want to be more strategic and I want to have better one-on-ones and I want to be, you know, uh, focused as far as my goals and objectives and, and develop those high potential people. But I find that I end up spending a lot of time giving instructions, being reactive, uh, policing people around, you know, kind of being reactive in terms of my hiring Meetings are kind of unfocused. My one-on-ones, despite my desire for them to be, you know, regular and focused, just aren't. And so it's, I don't think it's a lack of desire. I don't think anyone in an organization wakes up every day and just says, I hope my team hates me and I'm not planning on doing a good job. I mean, maybe those people are out there. I think all of us are well-intentioned, but we end up getting distracted and through lack of Uh, muscle memory around the positive behaviors we fall back it's like hey look we all want to go to the gym and exercise and eat well but we just haven't most of us haven't built that muscle memory and so we kind of fall back into the old familiar habits um, which you know again can sometimes do our teams a disservice but um, you know again I, I don't think it's lack of desire I think it's just lack of um, you know mechanics and training and repetition of those positive behaviors that's great because I think, you know, and I, I would definitely encourage people to, uh, you know, do a call it, do a double homework and, and actually go, go spend some time watching the, the, um, the video from 2014, because, you know, I think I took some notes beforehand and, and from the talk, you know, you, you mentioned the leaders, they don't think they spend enough time on, on coaching, on motivating, driving accountability and training. Uh, training for themselves, I believe, is, is the, actually what, what was meant there. And, um, you know, I personally, um, I can definitely uh, empathize with folks who have, you know, you have muscle memory of one way, you know, there's a better way. Uh, you know, maybe you're investing tools and time and, and new training to do them. But if you don't have the focus to, uh, to buy into those things, it's very easy to, to backslide or to slip back into, like you said, the the things that are comfortable. So that, that's, that's really great. Um, I think it's a great breakdown for, for folks um, new to this topic. Um, I want to hone in on those things that people aren't having enough time doing because, you know, as a, a SaaS company, 
in this space tangentially, you know, coaching has been a huge in vogue term. Um, motivation is obviously important to us as far as, um, you know, actively getting people to be more engaged. But, you know, what are some of the strategies that you think people can have success with as far as, you know, coaching, coaching that are, um, you know, actionable strategies that, that don't allow for, you know, bad muscle memory or maybe lack of muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I mean, coaching is, is, is the number one thing that leaders can do to help improve the progress of their team. It, what's interesting though, is that as a, a leader, if I were to look at your performance review, oftentimes we don't hold leaders accountable to coach. Like it's not a metric that we look at and say, all right, like how well are you been doing you know, coaching your team? So it, it's definitely something that can increase in prominence in terms of holding ourselves accountable to, to doing it. Um, it's also, yeah. I mean, it's That's actually one of the things that we measured back at Salesforce um, as we were using, you know, rippleandwork.com was actually measuring how many coaching sessions were happening. And, and it wasn't just something that we, we measured from a dashboard perspective. It was something that we asked regularly, our employees. We said, hey, you know, how often, you know, does your manager meet with you one-on-one -on -one to engage in these coaching sessions? And we wanted that obviously to be, you know, three to five times at least a month um, to kind of be having those conversations. So, you know, I would say that's, that's number one. But, you know, part of the challenge with coaching is that, and this is the, the kind of a data-driven study that kind of proved this out, but this idea that if you went to a, an individual a contributor and said, hey, you know, how often, when you meet, when you meet with your manager one-on-one, -on -one, and even if you're meeting quite frequently, how often would you say that coaching is occurring in those conversations? And there's a, a massive disconnect, meaning the employees think that when I meet one-on-one -on -one with my manager, coaching is actually happening very little of the time, like we're talking about other things. And managers think they're actually great coaches. Um, <laughs> that, we're, that we are now, I'm delivering amazing coaching, right? And so there is a, a, a great way of formulaically ensuring that, you know, these, um, say tactically ensuring that these, these meetings are high value. I mean, number one is, is to go in with a plan. You know, imagine if you went into a gym and said, all right, I got to exercise. And you kind of, you know, all right, you go to one machine, next machine, lift some dumbbells, some bench press. And you're like, all right, now I'm, I'm done. Was that right? I don't know. I've just, I came in and did stuff. Um, if there's no plan, then it's much more difficult to stick to it. So try to have a cadence of, of when you meet, put those meetings on the calendar, have an agenda. And as a leader, try to have some, uh, some questions and content that you, that is expected you're going to talk about all the time. So, for example, we might say, hey, look, we're, we're going to do a, uh, our one-on-one. -on -one. Let's just start out with a, a review of the metrics from the week. How are you doing in terms of, you know, your, your goals? Let's say if you're in sales, uh, progress towards your specific sales target. Um, any help you need, any, you know, red flags or blockers, any progress you've made. And then, you know, you can also moderate those sessions on a monthly basis even, let's say. So not every one-on-one -on -one has to be the same. You can say, let's say for the, the first one-on-one -on -one session we have every month, here are the questions we're going to cover. I want to understand what your pipeline looks like for the month, you know, any kind of high-level needs, training, like what are the, the, the skills that you're looking to develop that month, what am I going to be working with you on, but then at the end of the month, you might want to have the one-on-one -on -one focus more on a recap or kind of any late-stage activities that require attention. You might also want to have, let's say, once a quarter or twice a quarter conversation about career progression or next role and progress. So all the one-on-ones don't have to be the same, but the point is you want to at least go in with a plan and questions you're going to ask. The 
The next thing I would advise is, is using data as much as possible. Data is fantastic because it's, it's objective, it is uh, you know, unbiased, it can really help us focus in on the things that we need to focus in on. So wherever you can have a, if you're using like a, a CRM where you have you know, a dashboard that has data that can help us facilitate that conversation, it's always great to have data. And lastly, um, you know, write things down. You know, write things down. You know, so often the accountability that exists between a leader and a team member or even between team members vanishes because of lack of accountability. You know, we don't write things down. And when we don't write things down, it becomes very difficult when we meet next time to remember what we spoke about, what we committed to doing for each other. And so whatever tool you use, I mean, obviously at, at Salesforce, we used work.com. Um, you know, some people use Evernote, some people use Google Docs. Whatever it is, it should be something that's accessible to both people so that you can remember all of the things you talked about. And more importantly, remember the things that happen during the times where you're not meeting. You know, oftentimes we think about, oh, I got to talk to Brian about, you know, this deal or that deal or his career in that way. And we think about these things when we're not together. And so have a place where we can both keep track of this stuff, write it down um, to make sure that we drive mutual accountability. So, you know, to kind of recap, just make sure you have the questions, make sure you have a plan for each one-on-one, -on -one, use data, and make sure that you are writing stuff down to follow up and follow through. It's, it's no different than if you went to the gym and you were getting into an exercise routine. You want to have a plan. You want to make sure you have the proper form. You want to write down how many reps you did, how many you plan to do next time. And you want to change up your routine, right, as the weeks and months progress to make sure that you are growing and developing in the right way. Same thing with coaching. The bad news is, you know, I was going to the gym with, you know, exactly that. I just show up, I shuffle through a few things, and then I come back the next day, and I thought it was, it was all working. But the good news is, David, is that I, I could not agree more with that the plan, consistency, having data, writing things down. You know, one of my big, this is a confession as a, as a <laughs> relatively, you know, new person to the, you know, sales management space. But um, I couldn't believe how oftentimes when we, you know, talk to sales leaders and we ask them how they're doing their one-on-ones or their, um, you know, their recurring meetings with reps, you know, you'd say, where does this conversation happen? And I think that is going to result in like an Evernote or Google Docs or work.com answer. And they would say at lunch or, <laughs> <laughs> or on the phone. And, um, you know, then you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, what happens with the information that you get? And it's like, you know, they tell me and then, you know, I look forward to the update in a week. And it's like, well, I remember nothing from, you know, week one to week two. So. Uh, you know, that's a fantastic playbook. Um, and I really like the way that you laid that out because I think it's, it's imminently doable for, for almost anyone, regardless of what, uh, what tool they have in front of them. Um, uh, you know, another thing you talked about a major leverage point in, in the talk and that's driving accountability. And I'm a big fan of the word, uh, of both words, but really driving because I think, you know, it kind of gets at, you know, this, this execution point that, that accountability is becoming the thing that everyone is doing and you're passing that accountability to the rep so that they own it. Um, you know, how do you, how do you make that handoff? How do you get your team, whether you, you know, you know, they're performing well or underperforming or, or 
whatever the situation may be, but to take on the responsibility, if you will, that um, they have to go execute on this, this given set of objectives. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think there's a few ways. I mean, I think writing things down in our conversations is the, the best and easiest. So it means that we don't forget. It means that next time we, uh, we reconnect, we have uh, a roadmap to go back on. And, you know, typically what I'll do is if you're having like a coaching, like a weekly or biweekly coaching cadence, you can always ask the rep or the individual in the middle, like, hey, how's it going? You know, do you need any help? has the progress, you know, just to make sure you're reminding them. Um, one of the things I always like to do in a group setting to drive accountability, because oftentimes the things that we want to hold ourselves accountable for are things like, like the tactical things, like, hey, I want to make sure that we're keeping up to speed on objection handling or our latest product pitch or um, sharing insights from the field with our colleagues or uh, driving accountability for for recognizing positive behaviors when we see them. I think one of the, the biggest reasons that you know, we found and the data found back in the ripplework.com days is that one of the big reasons why people leave their company is because they say, I did great things that no one ever noticed. And yes. one of the best ways to promote you know, those positive behaviors and get other people doing them is to make them visible. And so uh, you know, one of the things I love to do is, is in our regular team meetings is to call some of these things out you know, hold myself accountable to having a part of our leadership agenda or team agenda every week. For example, if you have the luxury of meeting with your team every week, or even every day if you're having a stand-up, or even if, worst case, if it's once a month, calling out those positive behaviors. Who exemplified the behaviors and activities that we hold dear at our company that we want to see everyone exemplify? The other thing you can do is, is uh, hold yourself accountable to the types of, uh, you know, activities and knowledge that we expect. I'll give you an example. I, I did this thing. I think I've written about it on my website. I, I used to call it um, five minutes in heaven, which is ironic because it's not really five minutes and it's not heavenly. But the idea is, you know, every team meeting, I set the expectation with my team that I would um, take five minutes at the beginning and we would go over some objection handles. So for example, if Brian was on my team, I'd say, okay, um, here we are, we're all sitting together, it's our weekly team meeting. You know, we, we talked about last week how to handle the objection of when a customer says it's too expensive. So Brian, what would you say if a customer came to you and said it's too expensive? And I'm using it, you know, too expensive as, a, as an example of a, an objection we might typically get. Certainly there could be other things that are unique to your organization. But, you know, what, what would happen is reps would come to the meeting expecting to potentially get called out. And so just like showing up to a test that you would take in school on test day, you kind of felt accountable for knowing the answers because you didn't want to look bad in front of your peers. And again, it's not a punitive thing, but I think as leaders, and especially in sales, one of the things that we always are fearful of is being called to in front of our leadership team or our board of directors or our, you know, our, our CEO and getting questions about our sales pipeline and deals that we don't know the answer to. Worst and so that's right. And so we always want to be on top of these things. And I feel like, you know, reps should feel the same level of accountability. You know, if, if my job is to be the ambassador for our product, for our culture, you know, for our mission, then, you know, I should be held accountable to knowing those things. And I think uh, it, the nice thing is, is that you can use these sessions that you have, your five minutes in heaven or whatever you want to call it, to not only drive accountability, but, you know, to, to share some learning and knowledge. Uh, and uh, so those are just some simple ways to help drive that much needed accountability. 
Um, again, it doesn't have to be punitive. If it's something that's baked into your process and cadence, um, such as like writing things down, having that time in your weekly meeting to talk about them, then it just becomes a natural part of your culture. Well, you know, I'm thinking, I'm taking notes while you're, while you're talking because, you know, I'm learning things that we could be doing better. I think that five minutes in heaven is great because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like recognition is one of the biggest opportunities. Having a stage or an opportunity where people can come in and, you know, whether it's a new rep, whether it's a season rep, but they have the opportunity to, to look great with, you know, you, their sales leader, kind of having them in a live role play, um, you know, that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, not only do you give people, um, you know, visibility to the, the real life situation they're probably all dealing with, but, you know, someone can look like a, like a star and as many opportunities as you can create to have that, um, you know, type of experience, I think is the better. Um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, our time is running short and this has been, you know, phenomenally, uh, I think, impactful so far. Once again, um, I do want to remind everyone, this is uh, David Premer, uh, the co-founder, or I believe just the founder, sorry, and chief sales scientist of Cerebral Selling. I'm going to ask one more question, uh, if you don't mind, David, and then we're going to send everyone back to, back to work, so to speak. Um, you know, one of the things that I really liked, and I think that sales leaders, uh, I would think all kind of struggle with this, is the, the dynamic between leadership and authority. And there's a, great, there's a great story in the original talk, so I think everyone should go watch it. But, um, you know, how do you, how, how would you advise maybe less experienced sales leaders, sales managers to, uh, to err on the side of leadership? versus um, erring on the side of authority. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great point. You know, the idea behind, you know, the, the difference between leadership and authority is, you know, authority can be a position-based characteristic, meaning I have authority over you because I sit higher in the org chart, and if I tell you to do something, you should do it because of that. The title but, gives me this. That's right. But oftentimes, we don't... Uh, we don't necessarily honor that title when we don't believe in the leader or we don't believe in the directive. Uh, we don't believe in the advice. And uh, it doesn't mean just because you're in a position of authority that people will follow you. And I've seen over my career tons of amazing people and organizations that do not have that positional leadership, but they have the intrinsic leadership quality. People follow them because they have high conviction, because they are self-aware, they're emotionally intelligent, they're empathetic, they excel in their individual roles, regardless of whether or not they're a, a positional leader. And so, you know, those are the types of people that we, we would follow. You know, we all, we've all seen a team dynamic where let's say you have a superstar sales rep who is not only great in their job, but really great at helping others. You know, they give back, they share best practices and knowledge. Um, you know, they lead from the front. Uh, regardless of their position. And those are the people that we end up following. And, you know, I believe that that people, especially good individual contributors, almost have a responsibility. You know, I've always been a little hard on my top individual contributors and saying, look, you have responsibility to, to be a, a great leader and lead the team. Even if you don't want to be a manager, the team looks up to you because you're so successful right. in what you do. 
And so it's a responsibility you have to exemplify those best practice behaviors and help them along. So, you know, absolutely, leadership is not a positional thing. Uh, you know, if we, we see people in an organization that exemplify these amazing behaviors and other people are willing to follow them, they are, they are leaders and they have that responsibility. So, you know, what I try to do is look for those leadership opportunities within my own organization to promote those, uh, those best practice behaviors from the people who are doing the things that we would like to see more of. And as, as actual leaders, as actual positional leaders, we should also strive to be the type of people that, are, uh, that, that our team members would fight to work with again, not just because we have that positional leadership, but because we do things like we help our people achieve their individual and personal goals. You know, we, we help them uh, achieve their, uh, their metrics. We help them make money. We provide insight and transparency into how our business and operation runs so that, you know, when they think back on the time that they spent with us uh, being on our team, they think about that and they have a great feeling. They think about that as a very special time in their career. Just the same way when you think about growing up and all of the teachers that you had in, in elementary and you know, middle and high school and so on, you think about the ones that had the biggest impact on you. They weren't always the, you know, the ones that you got the best grades in their class, but the ones who cared about you, um, you know, personally, professionally, and helped you grow. And so that's the, the kind of leader I think we all aspire to, uh, to be regardless of our, our position in the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that empathy, uh, you know, that, that whole mind frame of having empathy of, you know, putting the, uh, you know, your reps or your team's goals um, first. And if they're successful, you'll be successful. That's, that's what it's all about. And I think I couldn't have said it better, David. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. This has been awesome. Uh, I had five more questions minimum and, and a couple <laughs> tangential ones that I wanted to get to. But, uh, you know, this has, been, this has been fantastic for everyone out there. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, once again this is David Primer of um, Cerebral Selling. Uh, David, do you mind giving me the URL just live? I'll also post this in the uh, in the the post when this goes out. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's simple. It's cerebral selling as it as it is spelled in the English language. Cerebralselling.com. There is tons of free content and insights there. I've been writing um, and creating content for a number of years now. It's all free, so go uh, go check it out. Help yourself, and uh, I hope you find it helpful. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Sales Influencer Series by Ambition. I am Brian Trouchold. He is David Primer. And thank you all once again. Have a good one. Happy selling.